Stay tuned for The Lynn Show. Today, I'm airing an interview with Arthur Kaiser. I'm interviewing Arthur at this time because his play, Before Steepletop, in which he explores a six-year period in the life of Edna St. Vincent Millay, won a competition at the Players' Theatre last year, and as a result, is having a full production this year. Arthur's story is interesting because he never expected to be a playwright. He never thought of being a playwright. He spent all of his work life as an attorney, a very high-powered, very interesting, very compelling life. And when he retired at 75, he didn't know what he was going to do. But a serendipitous event at the Players' Theater when he was 80 convinced him to try and write a play. And since then, as he is about to turn 90, he has been a full-time playwright. Listen to Arthur describe the, ter- the twists and turns in his life and how he found his calling late in life, but not too late. Hang on. Here come the show. You 
welcome to The Lynn Show. The Lynn Show is about being the person you really are, not the person other people are, not the person you think you need to be, have to be, should be, not the person other people told you you had to be or even told you you were, not even the person you may currently think you are, but the person you really are. Too many people have experiences in their childhood which discourage them from being all that they can be. I interview people in in my show, I interview people who make their living or their life with an art because when you listen to them, you can hear what it sounds like to be who you really are. And in listening to Arthur, you will hear that he honored his, you will hear, that as the child of two deaf parents who could give him and his younger brother no encouragement, no direction, Arthur managed to create an an extraordinary life. And listen to him talk about how he discovered theater when he was 14 and how it captured him. And more to the point, how at age 80, He found what he was always meant to do and has given his life to playwriting since then. Hang on. So, here now, in his own words, is Arthur Kaiser. Okay, I'm here with Arthur Kaiser. Every year, The Players has a new play reading competition. And last year, Arthur's play won. And when they win, they get a full production. Right. And his play, Before Steepletop, is about to have its full production, which is why I'm interviewing him at this time. So I'm explaining that I interview people who make their living or their life with an art. Now, I'm is, the wrong candidate for that. Well, I was just going to say, you did not make your early living or your early life with an art. I know you were an attorney. Right. Right. But since you have retired, and when was that? Well, I retired at age 75. Right. And when did you start writing plays? At age 80. At age age 80. Okay. And you are now? I'll be 90 in January. I'll be 90 in January. So for approximately the last 10 years, you have been making your life with the art of playwriting. That's right. Right. And that's what I want to talk about. When was the first time plays showed up on your radar? So, um, I was the firstborn of two boys. Two mother and father were both born completely deaf. And uh, this was 1929, and my father was a sign painter, and we barely scraped by. Not only did I know nothing about theater, but I, I really received no guidance from my parents in terms of what to do in life, because they just didn't know. Right. Uh, they didn't read books. They did have a sense that education was important, so that what they could barely come up with, they bought books for me and my brother, my younger brother. And I started to read long before I started school. Really? Yeah. And I started to write very early. I, I would enter contests in the newspaper, write an essay, and I won two tickets to see Fantasia when it first came out. Okay, so you fell in love with writing and reading very young. Yes. Yes. And, and um, 
I wanted to be a sports writer. Ah. I was in love with sports. So I became a sports writer when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. And I wrote for the high school newspaper. Never even dreaming anything about theater. Except for one thing. At the age of 14, my mother's sister, who was a war bride, her husband was over in Germany and she had a little baby. And I felt sorry for her. I had been working since I was 10 years old, so I earned enough money to go out and buy two tickets to this thing I knew nothing about. It was called Theater. It was in downtown Philadelphia. It was a show that opened before going to Broadway. It was called Oklahoma. Oh, my God. And I was hooked. Really? And from then on in, whenever I could get, gather together, I bought tickets for theater. I just kept seeing everything I could see. And when I was old enough to be able to get on a train and go to New York, I'd go to New York and go to theater. Wow. Okay, so, so this starts very, very young in your life. This, this is at the beginning, right? right. Now, you, I'm interested, and you said you wanted to be a sports writer. So even in high school, were you thinking of writing as a career? Oh, yes, absolutely. You were? Oh, yeah. Okay. I actually wrote a book, a sports book, and sent it off to um, uh, one of the major sports writers in the country. Uh, and uh, he wrote back and said, you're going to be a great sports writer, don't give it up. So what, what happened? I had an uncle, and he was a Western Union telegrapher. And he took me into the Daily News in Philadelphia. And I walked into the sports writer's room, and I saw nothing but smoke and bottles of whiskey <laughs> and what appeared to be a bunch of bums. <laughs> and I said, I don't think I want to do that. I wanted to be everything. I wanted to be an architect. I wanted to be a dancer. <laughs> I used to win jitterbug contests in Philadelphia when I was a kid. Wow. And I think my father, in effect, programmed me. Because he used to paint signs on the doors of lawyers in Philadelphia. <laughs> and I'm, I was told years later that when I was three or four years old, he would take me around and introduce me to the, to the lawyers there and say, this is my son, Arthur. He's going to be a lawyer someday. You know, when I, I, I happened to get into a magnet school in Philadelphia, I discovered a new world of bright kids. Yes. And I was inspired, and I realized the only way I'd ever achieve anything was by making enough money. And the law seemed to be the right way to go. I was the first one in my family not to go to college, but to graduate from high school. Oh, my goodness. My brother was the second one. I decided to go to college. Right. And I was one of the few people who accepted the University of Pennsylvania in 1946 who was not a veteran. And I was accepted to Penn, Wharton School, uh, and was told that study economics if you're going to go to law school. So I studied economics for one whole semester. <laughs> I had saved enough money to go to one semester. It was $200 a semester then, out of money. Oh. I was still 17 years old. And I joined the army. As here I was, a 17-year-old kid. I found myself in Japan, in the occupation of Japan. Wow. And spent a year and a half over there. Came home at the age of 19 and went back to Penn. And the GI Bill of Rights paid for the rest of my education. But I was out of money again. There was no <laughs> way I could go to law school. I happened to get very lucky. I took an examination that was given by the U.S. government. They wanted to pick the top 1% of the college graduates in the country to, to become future executives in the government. I passed that exam. It was a three-day exam. No studying required. It was all essay, which is where my strength was. That's right. You? You're a writer. And I was accepted. 
and I worked on a job at the Pentagon and during the Korean War I was involved in developing strategic material stockpiles and I went to law school five nights a week at George Washington University Law School. The second year I was invited to the law review because I was at the, I had the highest grade in the class. I graduated first in my class in, in night law school. So, so you, you graduate? From law school. Right. I was offered a clerkship. There were only 57 jobs like that available in the United States at the time. At the, at the United States Court of Appeals for the Third Circuit in Philadelphia where I came from. I took that and spent a year there wrote all of his opinions, which he then, of course, rewrote, but, and was offered a job in a law firm in Philadelphia. At that time, Jewish boys were not able to get jobs with corporate law firms because they were all, right. but this was a small, what they call a labor law firm uh, at the time. There were three lawyers, and they needed a gopher, and I would be the gopher. Mm -hmm. And I went to work there. Spent 45 years in that office, <laughs> ended up as the senior managing partner of the office, and built it to 35 lawyers. And I was constantly going to theater. Yeah. So you never lost that? No. While you were creating this amazing career, it, did you ever think about writing for the theater or writing fiction? Or? Never even considered it. No. I was so busy. First of all, I traveled all over the world. I did transactions in Europe and the Far East and things like that. I mean, it was a very, very exciting world. Right. I was on boards of directors and I was making money like I never dreamed I would make. I just, mm -hmm. and getting married a lot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you have this long, exciting career. Y you are successful in everything that you try. You have a family, you have work, you have friends, you Lots have- Lots of kids and grandchildren. Kids right. and grandchildren, you have everything. And then, you retire at 75. 75. And what starts you writing at 80? Down here, and I was lost. At the age of 80, we were sitting in Players Theater. At the intermission of a play, Jeffrey King came out and said, we're creating a senior theater group here. Anybody wants to volunteer, contact Jared Walker. I said to Ellen, I'm going to do that. She said, you're not an actor. I said, I know, but I'll try. I'll try it. <laughs> so I went over to the auditions, and Jared sat down with me, and he took my information. I said, now, what would you like me to do? He said, you don't have to audition. He said, we can't get any men. <laughs> you're, you're, you're in. You're in. <laughs> Which was a mistake, because I was terrible. Uh -huh. I am a... Oh, I'm an awful actor. It's just not something I can do well. I'm not comfortable up there. And uh, I was in a show, and the um, director was Dwayne Barrett. Mm -hmm. He was such a lovely guy. Yeah. And uh, I watched a little sketch they were doing, which was an old uh, Burns and Allen sketch. And I said, you know, nobody knows Burns and Allen today, these young people and doesn't, doesn't come across, maybe I can add to the sketch. And I wrote something out, and I gave it to Dwayne, and he says, this is great. And he says, you ever think about writing a play? Dwayne was the first person to suggest that I consider writing a play. I went home and I told Ellen I wasn't going to act anymore, I was going to write. And she immediately went out and talked to friends, and she got the name of a book called Naked Playwriting. It's a, every playwriting book I could find. Wow. And I started studying those things. 
and then I took workshops uh, with, with Jeffrey and with Beth Duda and with Arlene Hutton, who came in from out of town. And I heard there was going to be a workshop in Asheville, North Carolina, with a professor of playwriting from Ohio State. It was during a festival there, and Ellen and I went there. there. And at the end of the class, he said, if anybody wants to try to write a play tonight, a short play, I'll make sure it's read to an audience tomorrow. Well, that's all I have to say to you. And I ran up, went home. I stayed up half the night. I wrote this thing, came back. I was the only one that had written one. <laughs> and he loved it. And I got, and by the time that session was over, he invited me to go to Ohio State, Columbus, <coughs> and have some of my short plays read by his, his students in his class. Oh, my God. And they, they took care of my arrangements, and they, they put us up. And, and the other thing that happened in Nashville was I met a wonderful woman by the name of Bonnie Warrenberg. And Bonnie uh, is the president of a company called Art Age Senior Theater Resource Center. She is literally the source of 95% of the plays that are done in senior theaters and around the United States. And we just got along so well. She became one of them. She became my muse. Mm -hmm. And I used to tell Bonnie, you're sitting on my shoulder when I'm writing. Oh. She published my book, Short Plays by the Dozen. She actually published my first full-length play, which is called Harry's Angel. And it was done in Orlando last year. And uh, now it's out being licensed. I, I've had um, an average of anywhere from 30 to 50 plays, short plays, done around the country at the senior theaters. My goodness. Yeah. And I know that. The only reason I know that is because I get my royalty statements. Yeah, I'm, no, my God. I'm making a fortune. I, last year I made $600. <laughs> so what constitute a short, constitutes a short play? With Bonnie, it's usually from 10 to 15 minutes. Okay, so talk to me about Steepletop. I submitted a play I'd written called Implosion to um, the Berkshire Theater. It told me they had 500 submissions and selected eight for that summer. And mine was one of them. The day I went to see Implosion, Ms. Sherman Cohen, published poet, he came over to talk to me. Sherman called me one day and said, how would you like to go to see um, uh, the home of Edna St. Vincent Malai? So I said, sure. So the two of us went over there. When I walked into the home, which I, I felt her spirit in the house. It just, and um, I was just entranced by it. And they had a book written by Nancy uh, Mitford called Savage Beauty, which is the biography of her. And I spent nine months researching her without writing a single word. And I said, why has nobody ever written a play about it? And I, I realized afterwards her life was so complicated. And there's no way you can encompass her entire life. So I thought... Well, I'll take one part of her life, when she lived in Greenwich Village from the age of 26 to 31, and I'll invent a character, uh, a young man who's eight years younger than she is, and wants to be a poet, weave his story into the true story of what well, Edna St. Vincent Millay. There was a workshop being done out of um, the Dramatist Guild by a wonderful, wonderful woman, Caridad's Fitch. She was giving this workshop online where every week she would let you write something. And then she'd personally call each person in the class for 15 minutes alone wow. and discuss it. There were seven of us in the class. And I actually wrote the first scene I ever wrote for Sleepletop in that class. And she guided me through it. 
which was just wonderful. I, I started writing. I just kept working on it. My lawyer training has taught me to, to be organized. Every draft, I keep them. And every draft has its own number and date. And the present draft is number 50. Goodness. It's the 50th rewrite. Oh, my goodness. Before people talk. If, if, if I have one talent, mm -hmm. it's that. It's diligence. I'm diligent. <laughs> I'm, I'm, growing up in a household where my parents never knew whether I did homework or not, I learned to do it myself. I, yeah. I, I, okay, so tell me about this production. Well, there are a lot of bumps. Oh, we yeah. lost the entire cast. Wow. And I spoke to Jeffrey, and he says, I'll, I'll find somebody for you. And he got Don Walker involved, yeah. which was the best thing that ever happened to me. Mm -hmm. Don is just an incredibly professional, but kind human being. I mean, just a very special person. Yes. And Don has helped me a great deal. I mean, Don will constantly come to me and say, do we need this line, or do we need that line? Ah, so he's, so it's, it's not only that he's directing, but he's, he's helping you craft. Absolutely. And... I've never said no to him. No? No. Because he's been right all along. It's really collaboration, unlike a lot of the other arts. You know, I mean, there's collaboration that goes on, but I don't think to the extent that it exists in, in playwriting. No, I agree, because the, as you suggest, the director has input, the actors, he, and then you can see things in an actor that you might not have anticipated. That they Absolutely, and, and the actors have done mm -hmm. that. They've made suggestions which I've accepted. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, this is really not just my work, yeah. it's, it's, it's a collaboration. A good example of, of what's happened is that three months ago, the play was 127 pages long. And right now, it's 86. Maybe it's the style of my writing. I overwrite. I think that if you underwrite and then try to add to it to make it longer, it sounds like you've put an appendage on it. It doesn't work. Whereas if you overwrite and take out what doesn't work, it still flows. Okay, so tell us when it's running. It starts on uh, Tuesday, the 21st of August, and it runs five nights, and then a final matinee performance on Sunday, the 26th. I just have one more question. Can you think about this episode in your life in which you define yourself as a playwright? And just tell me, if you can, what you think about that or what that feels like? I have mixed emotions. Uh -huh. Sometimes I wish I could have started at the age of 20 and gotten my MFA at one of the great schools and, and worked at it and really learned the craft. But as Ellen always said, you wouldn't have had the life you had. You wouldn't have made the living you made. You know, it's, it's such a struggle on the business. But on the other hand, nothing has given me as much joy as, 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 as this. The first check I ever received is a royal I had, royalty. I had frames to play right. I never thought about doing that as a lawyer. <laughs> no. I, I never hung up all of my things as a lawyer in any place ever. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, just being surrounded by these things that I've created, and for whatever reason, I, I don't have um, block, writer's block. Mm -hmm. I, I always say that I have writer's diarrhea. <laughs> it just flows out. And I don't know why it does. I can't tell you. Mm -hmm. I mean, I hear the characters. Right. I really believe that, that playwriting starts with characters, not with a story. Mm -hmm. When you have an understanding of character and, and uh, 
the character will somehow lead you through her story or his story. I look forward to every morning. I, look, I can't wait till I get to the computer. That is actually a perfect place to stop. Thank you so much, Arthur. I look forward to every morning. I can't wait till I get to the computer. I interview people who make their life or their living with an art because it is my hope that when you listen to them, you're asking yourself, is this how I feel about my life? I can't wait to be in my life. My life is the life I was meant to live. Well, if it isn't true for you, if you had an experience in your childhood that discouraged you from being all that you can be, the message of The Lynn Show is it may not be too late to recover what you may have had to leave behind, hide, or be in denial for. As always, I hope you got something from this show that you can use. Something that inspired you, something that'll make you come out and see before Steepletop, something that'll bring you back. Because I will be back, and as always, I sure hope you will be too. You see, I'm getting older. My hair is turning gray. Oh, you say my face and figure have both seen better days. Well, I won't be retiring. I won't slip out of sight. No, I will not go gentle into that good night. Like some goddamn boomerang No, I won't go with a whimper I am going with a bang You see that I have had my shot My time has come and gone Oh, won't I please get off the stage Let Someone else get on Well, I, I won't be relegated Or leave without a fight No, I will not go gentle Into that good night But it ain't over yet Cause me and Sister Phoenix We won't give up the flight, no, no We will not go gentle Into that good night And I won't go with a whimper I'm going with a bang Life's a song I keep on singing
I may not be as juicy, hell, but I still got some tang, so you won't hear me simper. I may have gotten limper, but I won't. <laughs> 